Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. The main thing that we're focusing on is really being having more of the, the presence of the Lord in our life, being more intimate with the Lord than we've ever been. And when we talk about Christianity, and you guys have all heard the slogan, and it actually kind of draws me nuts, even though I agree with the sentiment of it, is that people will say, well, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, right? And so when people say things like that, it's always good to ask them, what do you mean by that? And I'm not sure what people mean by that because I think a lot of times we say that catchy little slogan or we tweet it, Christianity is not a religion. I'm not religious. I'm in a relationship. But are you? Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Because if I told you I had a relationship with my wife and we only spent an hour together a week on Sundays and we were late for the meeting every time and then we got out and didn't spend any time together during the week and we only spent that time together, we, you wouldn't say we. We might have had a relationship, but it ain't a good one. Come on. And so if you want to have a real relationship with the Lord, you need to be intimately involved. He needs to be intertwined into your life. You don't Because really, if, if you have a segment of your life that's devoted to the Lord, then you've got religion. Welcome to religion. But if you are in relationship with the Lord, that means he is in your life, that your life is inundated with his presence. And this is why the call of Jesus was what? They said, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he said this, to love God. Love God. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. And love him with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. What what do I expect of you? Just to love me back. Can I tell you today that when he gave us that command to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it wasn't a command that he wasn't given. That the reason why he's asking that from us is because he loves us with all his heart. He loves us with all of his mind. You're the one he's thinking about. You're the one God wakes up thinking about. If God had slept and God woke up, he will wake up thinking about you. You are on his mind 24-7. You are on his heart 24-7. He is way more committed and way more devoted and way more in love with you than you will ever be with him. And so it all starts with, with him being in love with us. And he, listen, intimacy is the Lord's highest value. It is his highest value. In fact, when he created man, it says this, that Adam would spend time with God in the garden. Even after Adam sinned, God showed up in the garden. Did you know that? Remember Adam sinned? And the Lord, it says that the Lord showed up. Come on, how many know that even when you sin, even when you do what you're not supposed to do, God still shows up. That's how in love with you he is. He still shows up. So he shows up in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? It's not because he didn't know. It's because Adam didn't know. And he says, I want, it's our time. Why aren't we spending time together? Where are you at? And I think that the Lord is asking you that this week in your life, at this point in your life, where are you at? Where are you at in your relationship with me? So I, w- I want to share from Matthew chapter 25. This is Really one of my favorite parables. I haven't preached on it. I was kind of looking through some of my archives of notes that I've been preaching over the years. And I was like, man, I could not find a trace of me preaching this a long time. I'm like, man, Lord, I'm sorry that I kind of got away from this parable because I feel like it is so core for us. And, uh, again, we won't finish today, but but I'll, I'll, I'll try to get, you know, into it pretty good. So Matthew chapter 25. Now this is a parable about really concerning the end of the age, the end times. Matthew 24, Matthew 25 is really a lot about the end times. However, even though it's an end time narrative, it has real-time implications. 
right? And so sometimes we look at things in the end time and we go, check, you know, I, I don't need, really need to read that, right? And I, I used to be like that. But what I'm, what I'm understanding is that everything that speaks at the end of the age has real-time implications. And I believe the, real, the, the real-time implications of this parable are the implications that we need to take to heart. And it's telling us what to do now. Okay, so it says this, at, the, at, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Everybody say ten virgins. You can also say bridesmaids. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. So they had lamps, but they didn't have all the equipment they needed in the lamp. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars. So they had oil in their lamps and oils in jars with their lamps. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, prepared their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. And later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour that the bridegroom comes. I would suggest this to you. Now, we're not preaching on end times today, but i got to get a little bit in there. They would not know the day or the hour, but they had to know the season. If they didn't know the season, they wouldn't have been gathered together waiting for the bridegroom. And it is imperative. We don't know the, it, it is imperative that we don't dismiss being a student of the end times based on ignorance, saying, well, no man knows the day or the hour, so I'll just be apathetic about it. No, no, no. You need to know the seasons, and you need to be anticipating and waiting. And let me get into this parable a little bit today, because when we talk about weddings and marriages and and things like that, we have a different understanding because we live in a different culture, right? In America, we don't prepare for marriages. We prepare for weddings, Right, we put we put tens and thousands of dollars into a wedding, right? But we won't spend a hundred dollars on a counseling session, right? We don't do very good with planning for marriages. We do a good job of planning for weddings. However, during during the days that, that the Jews lived, they prepared for marriages, and so what would happen is if a man saw a woman that he fancied, <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, how you doing?" Right? He would say. I, I, hey, baby, want to go church, right? He's, he sees her, and what he would do is he would go to her father, like a reputable man, not like a weasel, not a sneaky man. He would go to her father, and not just to get 
a blessing from him, but actually to bring a blessing to him. And they called this the dowry. And what the dowry was is a dowry was a sum of money that a man would take to the father of the woman he wanted to marry. And in order to get his blessing, he had to present to her the proof that he knew how to work. Not for two or three weeks, come on, but to, to prove that her that he could work, that he could provide, listen, he could provide for his family. Not because he could take good selfies. And so he would come and he would produce this dowry. Usually the dowry would include enough money for them to be able to live off for a period of time. And oftentimes that money would actually be returned back to the couple. So after he presented the dowry, then the husband began to prepare for what they called the wedding feast. And it was more than just a feast. The feast was just the beginning. They would actually plan to take about a year off. So during this time, they called betrothment, which was kind of like marriages are now, if I'm being honest. And so what, what betrothment was is it was, it was a, an official engagement that actually required a certificate, much like a certificate of a, of a divorce, to break. So it was a heavy deal. I mean, it was a commitment before the commitment. Come on. I, mean, I think we should probably take some cues from this culture. And they didn't just put it on Facebook, right? It was a contract. It wasn't just like relationship change, you know, status change, whatever. And so they would, he would spend a year or more or less, around a year, preparing for this wedding day. In the meantime, the bride would go and she would prepare herself and she would prepare her life for this new life of marriage. Now, keep in mind that the, in our culture, they would have been considered kids. Most of this was happening when these folks were like, you know, 12, 14, 16 years of age. They weren't like a grown man doing this. This is like a boy who was more than a man than, yes. So, man, what's wrong with me? I'm being so feisty today. And so what would happen is she would go to her house and he would stay at his father's house. Usually there was a distance. I mean, this was ancient times. This was a lot of walking. Come on, a lot of, a lot of traveling through the desert at night, these type of things. And so she would go and she would spend time also preparing herself while he began to prepare a place. Are you tracking with the language here? As we, we talk about in uh, John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. What is he talking about? He's using wedding language. So the bridegroom would go, he would prepare a place, a house for them to live in. Right? In my father's house, there's a lot of place, right? And so during that time while he's preparing, she is also preparing and she's gathering a wedding party and she's, she's prepping herself. She's doing beauty treatments, all the type of things that are brought, you know, she's getting her nails done, right? Come on. She, so, you, you know, all, all the things. Now, as the day approached, they wouldn't know the day. In fact, part of the excitement, anticipation was it, is that they didn't know. I mean, it could happen any day. He could be here any day. And so what would happen is when they knew that season was coming, they would gather together in the, in the bridesmaid the bridesmaids would get would gather together with the bride in her house, and they would anticipate the coming of the bridegroom. And when he got there, a shout would go out from the town because it wasn't like weddings were like, hey, we just go. Not that I have a big problem with this if you did this. No, it's not like you just go and get a certificate. I mean, it was a big ordeal. It was a party. I mean, it was, and it wasn't just one night. It was like days. And so what would happen is when the bridegroom was coming, a 
someone to go out and declare, someone that was uh, like a herald, someone that announced news, he would go out and he would go, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And whenever they would hear that, the urgency would peek out. The urgency would peek out in their hearts and they would get their lamps. Because most of the time it was in the middle of the night. Like the parable says, at midnight the cry rang out. So when they heard that, they said, we got to get our lamps. And so they grabbed their lamps. Right? So they could travel all night. So they could travel through the darkness to get to the celebration. And it says this in the parable that there were five wise and five foolish. And the difference between the wise and the foolish was not their education. It was not their experience. It was not how they were raised. It wasn't how much they knew. Not how much revelation they had. It was how much oil was in their lamp. Because the, one, the five that were wise had oil in their lamps. This lamp has oil in it. That's why it's burning. But this morning when I got here and I tried to light this lamp, it wouldn't light. Well, why not, Pastor Josh? Because it ain't got no oil in it. And I did say oil because that's how you really say it. But this lamp won't burn. I could, I can display it. In my, that's a cool lamp. We could put it on the wall like it used to be. You know why we quit putting these on the wall? Because it's a pain. Because you had to prepare the lamps. You had to keep oil in them to keep them burning. But the foolish didn't have any oil. They said, well, we'll go get some. Can we borrow some of yours? You can't borrow any of ours. We're going to need it. If we give you some of yours, we won't make it through the night. Go get you some. Go get your own, right? Head on over to Walmart and get you some oil. See ya. Right? And what happens? While they're gone, the procession starts and they miss because they didn't have oil in their lamps. Sorry about you. I would suggest to you that this is not just a parable of the coming King Jesus. By the way, one of the things that would happen when the bridegroom would come for the bride First of all, the focus is on the bride. Don't you love that? It's the bridegroom, right? It's not the groom maid or the, <laughs> the groom something, right? It's the bridegroom. It, it, history tells us that they would actually dress up like kings for this procession. It isn't it interesting that the great king of glory, when he comes, when he returns to receive his bride, there will be a holy procession where he will take his bride and bring his bride around the whole earth. It's going to be awesome. I hope you're there. I hope you're with me. I hope you're wise that you can enjoy the celebration with Jesus When we talk about this parable, it's e again, it's easy to think about the end time. But I believe it also speaks of the current moves of God. I believe if Jesus is coming and Jesus is doing things, then we must be wise and have oil 
when the night gets dark. Come on. And some of you have been trying to navigate like this in the night because you don't have any oil in your lamp. And the oil in your lamp is the oil of intimacy. And we'll talk, talk about it a little bit today and a little bit next week. But some of you have been running around thinking, why aren't I making a difference? Why can't I? Why is all hell breaking loose around me? Because you don't have any oil in your lamp. Let's get some oil in there. When we talk about oil, we're talking about intimacy with the Lord. Everybody say intimacy. Intimacy in the Lord. Intimacy, the old word for intimacy means this. Into me see. See inside of me. But it's not a, it's not a single-sided intimacy. It's, it's see inside of me and I can see inside of you. Let's open up our relationship and let's get involved in one another's lives. This is what intimacy means. It's not an experience. We love the experience. Our culture has done this. We've defined intimacy with sex. You can have sex without having intimacy. Facts. You want good sex, you better have intimacy. There's a little marriage tip for you. Marriage hacks. 101, Overflow Church. Guys, it don't start in the bedroom. It starts with breakfast. And just and what you did yesterday don't ran out when you went to sleep. Just telling you. You gotta turn that crock pot on early. How you doing? Okay. All right. Whoo, come on. Love it. Love it. We have good children's ministry. Okay. Let me. If you let your kids sit in here, I'm not responsible. I mean, we gave you an out, so. It's a little bit above PG-13 in here, I think, so, or something. I don't know the ratings, and they don't do very good anyway. Let me suggest this to you when we talk about intimacy. It's the Lord's idea. Intimacy with Jesus is God's highest value. It is his highest priority. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is heaven's highest value is your intimacy with Jesus. It's more than your performance. It's more than your humanitarian efforts. Intimacy with Jesus is the primary purpose of your life, to know him. To know him. If you know him, you'll want to make him known. We focus on works. We focus on deeds. He's like, I just want to know you. If you love me, you'll obey me. We've got a lot of people that are preaching obedience, but they don't preach intimacy. So what happens is, is, is the obedience runs out because you don't have oil in your lamp. And you're trying to burn without it. Listen, you were created to know the Lord. And when I say know the Lord, I don't mean like, hey, what's up? I mean to be face-to-face, breath-to-breath, heart-to-heart, ear-to-ear, like in relationship with the living God. You, this is why Jesus came. 
I didn't come to call you servants. I came, I came to be friends with you because servants don't know the master's business. I came to reveal something to you. I came to show you what the Father looks like. I'm here. Let's do this. Let's do life together. This is his heart. And so when you read through the scriptures, you find this fantastic language. Song of Solomon, great book, prophetic book about the love of Jesus towards his church. Solomon thought it was about him and his wife, and the Lord said, that's awesome. But it's also a picture of what the romance between my bride and Jesus looks like. Song of Solomon 4.9 says this, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glimpse of your eye. You know, when you're in worship, sometimes we come into worship and we're like, you know, just trying to focus on the Lord, just trying to focus on the Lord. And you just let out a little, thank you, Lord. And most of the time when we look at those and we, we go home, we're like, man, I just, I should have given myself more to the Lord during worship. I'm just like, oh, I don't know, I could have gave you a little bit more. We're beating ourselves over the 95%. And God's going, remember that moment. Remember, remember that just the five seconds during worship and you just glanced That ravished my heart, that wrecked heaven. Heaven was so moved by you just glimpsing, by you just saying, thank you, God. Heaven went, Look, they love me back. Do you understand that God is so in love with you? You know how it is to be in love with someone and they don't love you back? But when you get those little glimmers, when you just get that little glimpse, when you just get that text message back, oh, man. Get that AOL message back, like, hi. Shabbat. The Lord is here, right? You know how it is. Listen, God's heart is so moved by just your little response to his love. His heart is so, he is that in love with you. And we think that he's so ticked because we were so distracted during worship. Should you be more focused, think about how much more his heart would be moved if we were focused. But can I tell you today that he'll take the little bit. He's not going to be mad about all the knows that you've had. He's so ravished by the yes. He's so ravished by it. He knows that that yes is a seed to a greater yes. Isaiah 62, 5 says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his, as a, as a bride is in love with her, that word in the Hebrew language, that word rejoice means to spin around violently. So God literally Violently dances, spinning around in heaven, rejoicing over you. Yes, look at them. Did you see? Did you see how they lifted their hand for the first time? Yeah. I'm so wrecked. I'm so moved that they're loving me back. Did you see how they obeyed me? Did you see? It was so hard for them to, to just to just point to Jesus in that moment, and they did. Did you, did you see how they did it? I love Misty Edwards used to have a song, and she said, oh, angel, oh, angel, look and see. I got got to see the the Lord peering over the balcony of heaven going, look, they're responding. They're, They're loving me back. This is how ravished his heart is for us. He's lovesick. He is lovesick. Listen, only that kind of love would go to a cross. Only that kind of love. Not some casual, 
apathetic, I guess I have to love them. That won't take Jesus to the cross, but a love that is lovesick, a love that is obsessed with you. So we have in this parable the wise and the foolish. The wise are those that respond properly. The foolish are those that live with regret because they didn't. Uh, Three points on this. On the wise. How many of you want to be considered wise? (laughs) The first is this. They had a, a posture of expectancy. They had anticipation. Now, I would suggest this. Even the foolish had that to a degree. They were at the house. Revelation twenty two seventeen says the spirit and the bride. This is one of our theme scriptures this year. The spirit and the bride say, come. It's the spirit first. The spirit puts the cry there. The spirit and the bride. We say, we say come. He's saying come. We're saying come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take free gift of the water of life come. Just that expectancy, that anticipation. Lord, we're, we're here. We're waiting for you to come. We were, we were praying last night. We had the greatest furnace session we've had last night. I mean, God is moving at the furnace on Saturday nights. I know it's hard for everybody to make it, but if you can just make it like once every once in a while, it's just, it's just wreck you. Last night we, just, we had more people here than we've ever had. It was like bigger, I think, probably than our first service was this morning. And we were just crying out, come. It's just the anthem of the night, come. Come, have your way. Bring signs, miracles, and wonders to Overflow Church. Lord, would they spill out all over the Metroplex? That's what we're asking. Come. Just that posture of expectancy. But we notice this in the parable as it says that they got tired because it took a long time. (laughs) Right? The knot got long. I mean, it was like, is he going to come? And I might suggest this to you, maybe this wasn't the first night. But there was an expectancy for the bridegroom to come. And it says they fell asleep. They got tired. Even the wise, listen, even the wise got tired. But I don't think that that's because they weren't expecting. I think it's because they were expecting. Because what I found is sometimes whenever I'm really going after something, when I'm really expecting the Lord to do that, and it doesn't happen on my timeline, I get tired. I don't get mad. I get tired. I think back at December, man. We've just been praying for building. We've been praying for stuff going on in Haiti and Someone asked me, they said, how are you doing with all that? And I said, I'm tired. But I'm not tired because I don't have faith. I'm tired because I'm expecting God to move. And sometimes that's tiring. But the important thing is that I don't tire out. And so you can't burn out if you keep oil in the lamp. You won't burn out if you keep oil in the lamp. So just just keep that oil in your lamp and you won't burn out. Well, I burned out. What did you do with your oil? Did you sell it? Did you give it away? Expect. Sometimes you grow tired in the thing that you know is coming. 
I know it's coming. I know God's going to do a miracle. But I'm tired. The night is long. Beloved, don't grow weary. This is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6. Don't grow weary in doing good. By the way, weary grows just like faith does. It grows. And I know you got weary, but I want to encourage you today. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because he's faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful. I know you're tired. I know you've been waiting for a long time. I know that you're like, Lord, when are you going to show up at my door? Lord, when is this miracle? Don't give up. Just stay faithful. Stay in the pocket. Our pastor used to say this. He used to say, payday doesn't, in the kingdom, payday doesn't always come on Friday. And that is exactly the way it is in the kingdom. Just remembering that God is faithful. It might not happen tomorrow. Listen, it's not, it's not an issue of if. Let me tell you, it is not an issue of if God's going to come through. It's when is God going to come through. Because one of the things that God cannot do is he cannot fail. And he cannot be unfaithful. He cannot, he cannot not be faithful. However that plays out. He's faithful. It's just who he is. If he wasn't faithful, he's not God. He's locked into faithfulness. Tomorrow the sun is going to come up. I can't tell you the exact minute, but I know that if the sun doesn't come up, we're in for a mess. It might be hard to see, but I know it's there. The second thing is this, be prepared. They were prepared. Right? So they had the posture of expectancy, and they were prepared. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard, again, the book of Revelation, listen, the book of Revelation is not a funeral. It's a wedding. The book of Revelation is a wedding, not a funeral. Start reading it like it's a wedding because that's what it is. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder. Oh, no, oh, no. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice. There it is again, that rejoice word. Let us rejoice and be glad. Not be sad, but be glad. Be Rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Now listen. Righteousness is given. You've been imputed righteousness through what Jesus did. How do you become righteous? You become the righteousness of God by believing in Christ Jesus. However, even though the bride has the clothing, she must make herself ready. Are you ready? Some of you have been waiting on God to make you ready. He's not going to make you ready. He's preparing a place. You're preparing yourself. Come on, he is preparing the place. We are preparing ourselves. And so what they would do is they would pull out these lamps. And they would make sure they were full and primed with oil. And they would trim the wicks so they would burn well. Some of you need to trim the wick of your life. You, you haven't been prepared. You haven't been preparing for what the Lord wants to do. You're like, Lord, I want you to come. I want you to have your way in my life. Yet you're still filling your mind with filth on Netflix every single night. I, I'm troubled, beloved. I, I'm troubled by the things, not just that we'll consume, but the things that will come out of people's mouth that call themselves Christians. 
I'm not talking about a moment of weakness. I'm talking about an intentionally filthy mouth full of slander and gossip. Trim your wick. He's coming. Trim your lifestyle. And don't make excuses it was a moment of weakness. I get the moments of weakness. But the fact that you can get on and post it 14 times on Facebook is not a moment of weakness. That's because you're more interested in looking cool than you are representing Jesus. You'll post 5,000 things about politics and nothing about the Lord. Trim your wick. Trim your wick. Are you ready? This is what's visible. We are living a set-apart lifestyle. I'm, I'm, I'm so troubled. I'm so troubled. We were watching something a few nights ago. I mean, the, the, the stuff that's out there that we can watch, it's, it's incredible that we can consume. And so what's happened is we just consume anything. The world's like, here you go. We're like, okay, I'll take a little bit of filth. wonder why I talk like that. wonder why I'm struggling with lust. <laughs> well, it's because all you're eating is garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. And so... We're watching this show. It's really good. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. The storyline's good. And it's just filled with filth. And I was just like, no more. we got to trim the wick. That's all I say. It's like, we're done. We're not watching this. I haven't said that for everything that we've watched, but that night I was like, we're done with this. Because I'm, I'm thinking, what if somebody in my church knows that I watched that? Beloved. What if somebody that you work with that you're trying to show them Jesus knows that you watch that? Knows that you talk that way? Do you think that's going to represent Jesus well? Or is it all about you? Because last I checked, we're saying, I'm all about the Lord. I want to represent the Lord. Yet look at your platform. Check this out, what Jesus says about platforms. You're the light of the world. Come on! I thought Jesus was. Yeah, he was. And then now he says, you are. You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Then he says this, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Are you emitting a flame? You've got to have the oil and you've got to have a trimmed wick. In the same way, let your good deeds, not your ego, come on, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. What are you putting out there? Are you putting out light? Or are you projecting darkness? By the way, you don't have to project darkness. It's already there. Darkness is already there, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do about the darkness? Not what is God going to do about the darkness. What are you going to do about the darkness? The flame is his, but you've got to have the oil and you've got to have the trimmed wick. What are you going to do about the darkness? We're asking God for revival, and he's like, yeah, go do it. I'll give you the power and the courage and the oil to do it. But you go, carry my flame. Don't be reluctant. Be ready. Be ready. So when he comes, we're not distracted by the affairs of the world and I'm not consumed with the Josh Brown issues. I'm consumed with the bridegroom. I'm ready, Lord. And then the third is this, is carry the oil of intimacy. 
We're finishing up. But listen, carry the oil of intimacy. See, the oil is really the decider of the wise and the foolish. Because you can trim your wick. You can have a pretty lamp. But if you don't have oil, it don't burn. And what we've had a lot of times is we've had people that were running around with lamps saying they're light, but they're not emitting any. Because they don't have any any intimacy with the Lord. It's the oil that was the determining, fact, the determining factor. The oil is what, that's why they had to keep it in bottles with them. The oil is what, what would keep them long throughout the night. Remember Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, just a chapter before this, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, because the earth is going to grow dark, he says this, the love of most will go cold. But he that endures till the end, he that keeps that lamp lit until the end with the fire of God, he who continues and endures till the end, he'll be saved. He'll be rescued. He'll be brought into the chamber. Do you have oil in your lamp? The oil of intimacy. Do you have time with the Lord? We're going to spend a little bit more time practically next week on what that looks like. What happens is this. When Jesus moves and we don't have oil in our lamp, either in his return or he moves like he's moving right now. If you don't have oil in your lamp, you're forced into two camps. The first camp is regret. This is, man, I wish I would have been in on it. And this is what happens. That we, this is what we see in the story. Regret because they didn't have the oil. Man, I wish we would have kept our oil. And the second is this, resistance. That's not the Lord. I know they said the bridegroom's coming, but that's not him. Why? Because you're not prepared because you don't have oil in the lamp. So you want to say, you want to dismiss, no, no, that's not him. You mean it's not you. You mean you're not ready. So regret or resistance. Listen, one more point here. Again, intimacy is his highest value. I love you. I'm your pastor. I will lead you. I will pray for you. Beloved, I will cry for you, and I do often. I will stay but not for you. I'll be there during your darkest hour. I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I will do everything. But there's one thing that I can't do for you. I can't be intimate with God for you. I can't know God for you. I can pray to God for you. I can talk to God about you, and I do sometimes. Good ways. But I can't give you my oil. I can't. That's my oil. I can't give you oil. Bro, I can't give you oil. You've got to give your own oil. You've got to have your own relationship with the Lord. You've got to have your own history with God. I can't have history. You can draw from mine. You can learn from me. Awesome, all that. But I can't know God for you. You've got to know the Lord. 